0: When presidents call the people to go to the streets and demonstrate their support for the government, it's usually a bad sign. In Brazilian history, any president who pulled that trick was unable to finish his term. But that's exactly what Jair Bolsonaro did, only five months after taking office. At some point, the president did try to distance himself from the demonstrations in his favor, but make no mistake. He was the reason why around 100,000 Brazilians went to the streets to ask for the approval of the pension reform, and in some cases, the shutdown of Congress and the Supreme Court. After five months of squabbles with Congress, Bolsonaro wanted to show his political strength. A massive crowd would corner lawmakers into bending to his will. A flop, however could spell the ruin of his administration. The end result was something in between. The president showed he has a dedicated core of supporters, but it was clear that they are not enough to keep the other branches of government constantly in check. What happens next? My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. I Marshall, welcome back. Hi, O Brasil sent were demonstrations in Uma A servindo a gente, e não a gente servindo a the country. No yeah. the We usually see demonstrations against the government, not in its favor. I mean, by definition, that seems weird. So, can you help me explain why we saw people marching to show support for the sitting government?
1: Well, it's definitely a strange concept, especially when we're so early into the president's term. But, as we know, the Jair Bolsonaro administration has been in what seems to be an apparently endless war with Congress... He's struggling to get anything passed, and he sees his priority agenda getting stalled in the hands of lawmakers. And also, after over a million people protested against the government's education budget cuts on May 15th, so very recently, Bolsonaro reckoned that he needed a show of strength. And so he decided to call upon his base, bring them
0: to the streets. You attended, as a reporter, the demonstration on Paulista Avenue in São Paulo. So, first of all, for those who aren't familiar with the city, can you tell us a little bit about where the protests took place and why Paulista Avenue is the go-to spot for demonstrations?
1: Well, so, Paulista Avenue it is, these days, it's probably one of the most famous streets in Brazil. You would probably say it is the center of what is modern São Paulo. It's very long, uh, it's very broad, it's very wide, and it has four subway stations on the street, which in Sao Paulo is a real rarity. It's the only only street in the city to have that many stations. And it's walking distance from most of the central neighbourhoods. In short, it's really very accessible. It's like now the new centre of Sao Paulo. And also, on every Sunday, the road is closed to traffic, and it's opened up to pedestrians. And so the road becomes some sort of like an urban beach. There's lots of like live music, there's dancing, there's craft stalls, there's all that sort of stuff going on. So basically, it is really, really quite easy to fill Avenida Paulista, especially on
0: Sundays. So tell us about this Sunday. How was it?
1: Yeah, so the demonstrations were big. There's definitely no denying that. But what I saw early in the day was that the various groups which called the marches they'd set up sound trucks all along uh, Paulista Avenue, so there's a number of big loudspeakers there that creates all the constant noise.
0: Brasileiros, momento nosso.
1: And around three pm, it really was filling up quite a lot, but it wasn't as you may expect one like cohesive rally. It was. More large clusters gathering around these specific sound trucks, leaving these quite large empty spaces in between.
0: Yeah, we tweeted a photo you took from uh, a building close by uh, that showed that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And when walking around, it kind of seemed like almost like a music festival. You know, when you have a lot of different stages. And so you had a lot of people going from one to the other to see who was talking. It's like, oh, I like that guy. I'm going to go over there.
0: And the acts on May 26 were smaller than those on May 15, uh, when hundreds of thousands of people protested cuts to the federal education budget.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, As you mentioned earlier, the pro-Bolsonaro demonstrations took place in 156 cities, whereas the protests of teachers and students took place in 222 cities, and they drew much larger crowds. On Paulista Avenue, for instance, some estimates talked about almost 100,000 people on that road. And I guess that Sunday's demo was probably just over half of that size.
0: And let's remember that the education protests happened on a rainy weekday, uh, not a sunny Sunday.
1: Yeah, that's true. But also, this is is commonly used by Bolsonaro supporters because a lot of the left-wing demos usually happen during the week. And... Bolsonaro supporters like to say that that means the left is just this bunch of lazy people who want to get out of work as often as possible.
0: All things considered, it wasn't a flop, was it? I mean, Bolsonaro did manage to get a lot of people on the streets.
1: Definitely, definitely. And it's a tactic that has definitely backfired in the past. Like in 1992, for instance, the president Fernando Collor... He was in a similar situation. He was cornered by Congress and he did exactly what Bolsonaro has just done. He called his supporters and tried to get them to fight for him on the streets. And what we saw back then was that people did actually go out on the streets to protest. But they were actually marching to get rid of Fernando Collar, which is exactly, exactly what happened. And that's not the case now. You know, as you said, the Bolsonaro, he did manage to show some strength on Sunday.
0: And that's important because in Brasilia, there were congressmen already openly talking impeachment.
1: Yeah, and so early into his administration, that's really quite incredible that we've already even had mentions of a possible impeachment. But... I expect these talks to quieten down for a bit, at least for now. Um, on Tuesday, there was talk of the president possibly signing a pact with the legislature and the judiciary to ensure that the pension reform will be approved. And, I mean, Bolsonaro, with these demonstrations, he showed that if Congress does want to get rid of him, he's not going to go down without a fight. Uh, unlike Dilma Rousseff in 2016, was you know she was a sort of a passive actor to her impeachment process.
0: And what were the people on the streets asking for? What was the atmosphere like out there?
1: Well, first thing to mention is that there was a lot of different demands. Everything, you know, it wasn't a a homogenous protest in that sense. But there are a few common demands. The most popular ones involved support for the government's pension reform, as we've already mentioned a couple of times already. And also the defense of Justice Minister Sergio Moro, who is seen like a, some sort of like Superman against
0: corruption. By Literally. In Brazil, there was a, an effigy of him dressed as Superman.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so Sergio Moro, he's about to have uh, Brazil's money laundering enforcement agency taken away from his uh, responsibility. And so that was one of the most popular demands, that you know, give this agency back to Sergio Moro. And of course, there was plenty of support for Jair Bolsonaro. But besides that, you also saw a lot of criticism for the Supreme Court. Uh, there was plenty of vitriol directed at Congress, specifically the, the so-called Big Centre and the House Speaker, Rodrigo Maya. He was one of the main targets for the, the, the demonstrators. But to be honest, what really surprised me was the, the subdued nature of the whole protest. It was a lot less fiery than we'd expected. You know, we thought that this was going to be the hardcore of the Bolsonaro supporters on the streets. And that's not really what we saw. There was a lot of similarities, actually, with the anti-corruption protests of 2015. And the demographics were more or less the same. You know, these are largely old, wealthy, white Brazilians. And... A really strange aspect is that the biggest cheers from the crowds were reserved for some slogans against the Workers' Party and Lula. Who, You know, that's something from the past, really. It never. It didn't feel like something new.
0: And you mentioned the big center. So could you explain what it is, how it works, and why it has become so intrinsically associated with corruption?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, Brazil has a lot of political parties. It's one of the most fragmented legislatures in the world. Um, And a whole lot of these parties are small. They're faceless. They're devoid of any ideology whatsoever. And so that means that the deal with Brazil is that with all of these parties, if you want to govern, you're going to have to form coalitions. And that's where this so-called big centre comes in. Um, This is a group of centre-right parties... Who, they have no militancy, no real social base. They don't actually stand for anything. But, when they come together, their numbers are enough to form a majority in the House of Representatives. So, as a consequence, if you want to get anything done in government, you need these guys on sides and we know that politics is all about compromise but the problem with the big center is that this is a group which makes up some of the most corrupt parties in the country and it means that in brazil this idea of making a faustian pact to govern the country is less of like an option or a strategy it's basically a prerequisite
0: so we live tweeted the protests and we showed their radical face i mean People not only calling for the big center to get its act together, but for the actual shutdown of Congress altogether, and the Supreme Court shutdown too. And some even call the army, the navy, and the air force the true legitimate three branches of government in Brazil. So I ask you, as you saw everything up close, were these radicals a small part of the protests, or were they sizable enough to raise a red flag?
1: There were plenty of kind of hard line and punitive speeches on show, but they weren't really getting many cheers. It wasn't the most popular stuff there. Probably the most radical idea which had like any real amount of purchase amongst the protesters was the right for citizens to bear arms. And also, like, the expansion of police violence, this this old mantra in Brazil that, you know, good criminal is a dead criminal, that sort of thing. Which, you know, that's, that's very popular amongst that group of protesters. But clearly, the fact that people were even mentioning closing Congress or the Supreme Court, no matter how popular it was, the fact that it's even being mentioned is a worry in itself.
0: Those who read the Brazilian report on a regular basis know that political tensions are peaking right now, with Congress stalling on the government's agenda and trying to create a sort of de facto parliamentarian system. Do you think Sunday's protests tipped the scales in one side or the other?
1: No, like, really, it's just more of the same, actually, because this, this administration has been in this constant state of chaos ever since it began. And, I mean, this is our second podcast, which is related to some sort of serious institutional crisis hitting the Bolsonaro government, And he's only been in office for
0: five months. We'll be right back. Ponto Futuro Rio is the B2B conference about technology for decision makers on June the 5th. In Rio de Janeiro, 25 speakers from Brazil and abroad will get together to discuss how technology transforms businesses and society. The theme for this year's edition, the third already, is augmented humanity or amplifying human abilities through technology and how this transformation shapes new relations and calls for adaptation. For more information, go to Futuro, that's future with a no at the end, Dashrio.com, futuro
2: Substantial number of people in Brazil uh, kind of expected or, or, you know, claimed to, to predict that Bolsonaro would uh, moderate, uh, you know, upon, you know, becoming president because, you know, he would figure out that things, you know, are different, uh, you know, in governing as opposed to campaigning.
0: This is Felipe Campanchi, Bloomberg Distinguished Associated Professor at Johns Hopkins University.
2: Uh, but I always thought this was, a, a, you know, a very misplaced hope uh, in that a figure like Bolsonaro can only thrive with polarization, right? So the only reason that he is where he is is because of this extreme polarization that leads, you know, a, a, a certain segment of uh, the population to reject uh, uh you know their political politically opposing side, let's say, uh, uh very fiercely. And that's that's the only thing that he has, basically, right? So I think from a broad perspective, the demonstrations and the role that Bolsonaro himself and sort of his uh you know uh social media, you know, army, so to speak, uh, played on uh calling for this demonstration and kind of trying to 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 Feed the the the, the demonstrations that we saw on Sunday. I think that's uh, very much in line with that strategy for polarization. So I think uh, as far as the outcome of that, I think they basically kind of reinforce this pattern. So they were not big enough that they were political game changer in any way, but they weren't small enough either that they would reveal some extreme weakness. So I think it's basically uh, uh, you know kind of both sides of the political spectrum kind of hardening uh, in their positions. And the game is going to be played in the middle.
0: Back in October, Brazil elected a far-right president to go along with a pretty conservative Congress. At the time, the guess was that Jair Bolsonaro would find few obstacles to push his agenda forward, namely fewer gun controls, laxer environmental legislation, and a sweeping pension reform. But everyone's guess was wrong. Jair Bolsonaro has refused to negotiate with parties, equating negotiations with horse trading and corruption. He even said that the last two presidents who played ball with Congress have found themselves locked in jail cells, referring to Lula, who's in prison since last year, and Michel Temer, who had two very brief stints in jail in April and May. Will lawmakers be more receptive to the president's agenda now that he has called for protests?
2: Well, I think, you know, they are in a position of strength because in some sense, like the the, the government needs them more than sort of the other way around in the sense that like the government has uh, uh, an agenda that it needs to, to. I mean, it needs to to, to accomplish certain things. And of course, pension reform sort of, first and foremost, and it needs Congress to do that. So so C- Congress and the Centrão and Rodrigo Maya are in, in in a strong position for that. Now, I think, again, from a broader perspective, I think that the big tension here is that, you know, populist movements, they when times are good, they can offer, you know, goodies for supporters and kind of try to, 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 to sort of uh you know appease people and keep people happy as we can see in the US uh, uh, right now but when times are bad and and there's no money the only thing that populism can offer is villains right it's kind of try to to stand in opposition to those evil guys uh, out there which used to be the the PT but now obviously have to be someone else so now it has you know kind of for for the for the the bolsonarismo the Centrão and, and Rodrigo Maia, you know, and the STF, you know, the, the Supreme Court have become sort of the, the enemies uh, uh, that they need to resort to now. Like, that's, that's the only thing that's, that's available to them since there's no money.
0: Students and teachers protested on May 15th and have scheduled new rounds of protests for May 30th. Is there a chance of us entering a state of constant turmoil? I mean, I recall what happened in 1992 when we had a series after series after series of protests to unseat the president.
2: I mean, it's really hard to think by analogy with uh, whatever happened, you know, 27 years ago or or however many years uh, 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 that was. But what I think uh, is the thing to look at, uh, you know, in, in sort of in the in the aftermath of the the first. A, a demonstration or a set of demonstrations on the fifteenth, and now kind of leading into the next uh, later this week, is to see, you know, if it kind of breaks beyond sort of the usual, uh, sort of the, the the third of the population that is, uh, you know, really opposed to, to to Bolsonaro. And I think there were indications that there was something of that sort. That in some sense it was like it was not sort of like the usual suspects. And I think that. Is due to the fact that you know basically that's a movement in response to an actual sort of policy debate that is going on now, right? So like the the, the education cuts, which are kind of part of a, a, a of a broader uh, scenario of scarcity or of of lack of money, that then was sort of weaponized by this uh, uh, you know extremist administration to kind of try to to go after their uh, enemies, real or imagined. Uh, but I think there's something a lot more with with more potential in that sense for growth, right? Because I think there's it's something that is responding to what's going on now, as opposed to kind of a a, a reactive movement that I think was a little bit more kind of like of the uh, of the Bolsonaro's supporters, kind of in in response to the to the earlier demonstrations, and uh, still kind of stuck uh, with some old older refrains that. Uh, are a little bit more backward looking, I think, than uh, uh, than uh, you know the other the, the process from the other side. So I think uh, uh, um, it's still hard to tell where this is going to go, whether it is going to really evolve into something bigger. But I think there is the potential because again, it's kind of uh, more of a forward looking or at least kind of a present looking. Response as opposed to something kind of more reactive and, and and a little bit more backward looking, even if it's looking backwards to a past that is that is still pretty recent.
0: There have been talks of impeachment in Brazil, and it seems oddly early for that. Political predictions are always dangerous, especially in Brazil. But do you think there is some risk of him not finishing his term?
2: It's not uh, uh, for nothing that that there is this that people are talking about it, right? I mean, I think there's a clear sense that things. Can't go on like this. Uh, so, like something, something has got to give. And what I've found striking actually is how Bolsonaro, sort of in 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 his this this sort of back on polarization, he somehow managed to start alienating, uh, 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 you know, important segments of of the military, right? And especially at the at the sort of the, the, the top brass of the military, which you know, are are obviously still on board, but but you know, clearly uncomfortable uh, uh, from all that we can hear, uh, and I think that does not bode well for 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 the prospects of his uh, you know long term uh, future uh, as president. So you know, I think let's put it this way: I think there is a really non negligible chance that. He won't last until 2022, kind of in the way that he's been behaving.
0: Jair Bolsonaro is often compared to US President Donald Trump, and many look at North America to say, well, everyone was talking about impeachment and Trump is still there. That is a fair comparison, with a major caveat, however. Impeachment is not a taboo in Brazil, Not like it is in the US. The Americans have come close to impeaching two presidents, but have never actually done it. Brazil, on the other hand, has seen two of its last five elected leaders unseated by Congress. By no means. This is neither a prediction nor a defense of Bolsonaro's ousting. We're just pointing to the fact that turmoil has become the Brazilian institutional normality. This podcast was written and prepared by me, Gustavo Ribeiro, and Yuan Marshall, who also edits the final script. Maria Marta Bruno produced this show. If you like this podcast, rate us on any platform you may be listening to Explaining in Brazil. It takes only a second, but it is really important for us. And many people ask me how they can support this show. The best way is to subscribe to The Brazilian Report the journalistic engine behind this podcast. Every day we have new content about Brazilian politics, finance, and society. We've also got exclusive newsletter services if you want to be briefed about what's going on in Brazil before starting your day. Subscribe now for a free trial and enjoy all of our content for seven days. And it is really free. You don't have to submit any credit card information whatsoever. Just go to Brazilian.report slash subscribe. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter or handle us at BrazilianReport. That's all for now. See you next week.